to everything coming up in their life. We're, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, we're going to pick up tonight in verse number 12. We're going to do the best we can uh, to finish up uh, this letter. going to go down to verse 28. I may spend one more week finishing up the last few verses, but, but we'll see. Um, we're going to look at it in uh, verse 12 through 28. You see the title of our lesson tonight. It's the church family. Uh, everyone should have uh, notes for you tonight. Um, you'll find a pen in the, in the back of the pew in front of you if you don't have one. Uh, but there's certain fill-in-the-blanks just to uh, help you stay along with me. And uh, Bible references and things. And, and I don't have everything in there that I can get on two pages. But I got, I got you plenty of stuff that you can look back over and study. Um, also, uh, can I mention that, Larry? Can I mention what you just told me? Uh, also, this Saturday... Uh, at the jail ministry, they're going to be baptizing 23 inmates uh, this Saturday. Uh, those guys who can't get out are going to be having a big baptism. Yeah, praise the Lord. That was kind of weak. I think it deserves much more than that. Let's do that again, all right? That's a big deal. I'm excited about that, Larry. And so praying the weather will get out of there and uh, that opportunity uh, and so we're just very thankful for that. Uh, what a blessing that is. All right, First Thessalonians 5, let's look at uh, verse 12. And we're just going to read on down to verse 28, and then we'll uh, come back and highlight different things that Paul is teaching us here. He says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. And esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're praying tonight. Uh, as, we, as we look here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we've made our journey through this letter that Paul wrote, and uh, many believe it's the first letter that, he's, that was written, and uh, we're praying tonight as we look in these general instructions that he leaves us in his conclusion, in his conclusion, his closing statements, Lord, that they would minister to us tonight where we are here in the 21st century America, and I pray, Father, that you'll bless your church tonight. Lord, minister to us in a way that only you can. Help me, Father, tonight to preach with passion and uh, help me to preach in a way that is clear and uh, is not misunderstood. 
and uh, help us, Father, to follow along and gather our attention tonight and minister to us spiritually. And uh, Father, may you do a great work in each of our hearts and life. Lord, I'm praying for our children tonight. God, may you minister to them. What a blessing it is. I know in my own daughter's life, everything that she has learned this year, and I'm grateful for all the people who have poured into her. And uh, I'm praying for all of our children. And uh, Lord, the things that, um, that they have latched onto, the things that they have memorized, how they've grown spiritually, how they look forward to being in church on Wednesday nights and, and the different things in their life. And I'm thankful for all the people, all the adults who, despite working throughout the week, make the effort to be a part of that and invest in our children. And I'm thankful for our teenagers. I'm praying for them tonight. Lord, may they have a spirit-filled service. May you speak to them and minister to them where they are. And certainly the prayer requests that everyone has tonight, the different burdens, we'll mention those to you by name here in just a little while. But help us tonight as we get in your word to be ministered to, to grow. Lord, give us something tonight that is worthy of us overcoming our tired bodies, overcoming the challenges that we have faced throughout the week, to have the privilege and the honor to come together and open up the Word of God together. May you please do something in each of us tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. All right? So, as I just mentioned here in the prayer, Paul is he's concluding this letter. This would be the conclusion. In um, verse 12 through 28, he really gets down to the closing about verse 25. And starts wrapping things up. But here in, in verses 12 through 24 in particular, he's offering up some, uh, really some final instructions to the church. And he does that in just about every letter that he has. And uh, he's offering some general instructions, things they need. And when you compare scripture with scripture and you see a little bit in Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and Romans. And you put all that stuff together how it ministers to us in, in the local church. Now, we know this. The church is more than a building, right? It's more than a building. Uh, when I say that I, I pastor Somerville Baptist Church, what people think of is they think of this place. They think of the location. But the church is not the building. The church is the people. Uh, the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus Christ came to this world to save sinners. Amen? And in John chapter 1, in your notes, in verse 12 and 13, the Bible says, But as many as received him, by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, receiving him to be their Savior, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So God gives us the power through our faith and trust in the name of and, the, and, the, and the, the atonement of Jesus Christ, God gives us the power to become his children, which were born in verse 13, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are born again into God's family. And so upon our faith in Christ, we are part of the family of God. And so for that matter, uh, Somerville uh, 41 Main Street is not the church. It's the physical address 
where the family of Somerville Baptist Church corporately gathers together to worship and exhort one another in the faith. And that's what we're doing tonight. We come together to this place rather than, uh, than everybody piling at the Hope House or everybody going to Peck Mountain Road. We come to this place and we worship the Lord together. Now, speaking of family, the Apostle Paul often used the term brethren throughout his epistles when writing to the churches. The, the most he used the term in one letter was in 1 Corinthians when he did so uh, 28 times. Brethren is uh, one of the blanks in your notes. He, he loved to speak to the brethren when he was speaking to the local church. Now, 1 Corinthians had 16 chapters in it, and so there's a lot of words in it. There's a lot of space. that uh, There's a lot of things that Paul had to say. The second highest amount was the 17 times mentioned in the five chapters of 1 Thessalonians. Now, seven of those are found in chapter 5 alone. And I, I gave you those in verse number 1. He says, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. And verse 4, he says, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness. Uh, he goes down to verse 12, and we beseech you, brethren. In verse 14, we exhort you, brethren. And go down to verse 25, brethren, pray for us. 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. In verse 27, he says that I charge you by the Lord this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. It is the brethren who are not in darkness. Amen? They're not in darkness because we have obtained salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we looked at last week, we will not endure the wrath of God's judgment as our sins were judged on, upon Calvary's cross. Other un, unbelievers will have to face the wrath of God. But we escape that as believers because our sins were judged upon Calvary. Now it is also the brethren in chapter 4 who take part in the rapture of the church. And we are instructed to comfort one another with these truths. So... In our text, beginning in verse 12, Paul is concluding this letter to his brethren. He is writing to the family of God, the, the church family in Thessalonica. And, uh, Thessalonica. and so here he is uh, writing this letter to his brethren. And in the text that we have tonight, he is highlighting some responsibilities within this new church family. Because every member has a role. Every member in your house has a role, okay? Every person is different. Everyone has different parts in that family. And so the same is the local church. And so he's highlighting responsibilities within this new church family. And the first one that I want us to look at in relation to your notes is the relationship of the pastor and the congregation. The relationship of the pastor and the congregation. He, he speaks of this in verses 12 and verse 13. Now, I gave you a quote there by James Grant Jr. And I thought it was worthy for us to put in our notes. He says, there has always been some tension in the church about its leadership. Sometimes in church history, we see leaders placed, on exalt, placed in exalted positions 
that are not biblical. At other times, Christians want nothing to do with leadership within the church. And these two extremes are always temptations for the church. But Paul wants us to understand that neither one is right. God has called and placed leaders within his church, pastors to shepherd Christ's people, and Christ has delegated to these pastors the responsibility of oversight for his sheep. Now, there's more to be said elsewhere throughout the epistles concerning the church leadership. But in verse 12, Paul keeps everything and brings everything down to three descriptions of a biblical leader. And he wants us in verse 12, first of all, to know them which labor among you. He, he speaks up, okay? Know them which labor among you. He says in verse 12, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Now, to labor means to work hard. That means we're not just sitting around playing golf all week. Amen. All right? We're not just sitting behind a desk all week. To labor, he's saying, means to work hard, to feel fatigue, to be wearied with toil. And so when I read this, Paul is not describing a do-as-I-say kind of church leader. He is describing a do-as-I-do type of church leader, okay? Someone who is busy about the ministry, laboring among you. He is, he is in the work together. He is, he is a part of the group. He is a part of the crowd, laboring among you. The ministry, I have learned over the years, the ministry done right is both exhausting and exhilarating, okay? Now, he mentions another point. Know them which are over you in the Lord. He mentions in verse 12, okay? So he says, again, he says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Now, I know this, you know this, there's no doubt some who have been mistaken to see that statement as a charge of power. But to do so would contradict the example and teachings of Jesus Christ. Because Christian leaders have the responsibility to shepherd the people of God through service rather than lordship. Okay? In Mark chapter 10, I'll give you the reference there in Mark 10 verse 42. Uh, and, the, and the verses leading up to that, James and John, they've asked Jesus, they've come to Jesus and said, Hey, would you do for us what we ask you? He says, what do, you want, what do you want to ask me? And they said, when you, in your glory, can we sit one of us on your right hand and one on your left hand? Can we be right there beside you? And uh, they, they wanted the best seats right beside Jesus. And what, would ha what happened with the other ten is what you would expect to happen. They are jealous, they're envious, they're upset because... Who do you think you are, right? They're, they're asking, you know, they, they have this issue with them. In verse 41, talks about them being upset. Well, look what Jesus says in verse 42. But Jesus called them unto him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise 
lordship over them, okay? So in everything economically in the business world, all right, that is how everything works. You have the guy at the top and the hierarchy coming all the way down to the production worker, to, to whoever's on the bottom. You have all of these steps of leadership. You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship of them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. Verse 43, but so it shall not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, God's economy is always different than the world's economy, all right? And I was, I was thinking, and I jotted this down because it, it sounds morbid, but the truth is that those who are called to Christian leadership are called to death. They are called to dying of themselves. We are to be examples of what it means to always put others first by completely giving of ourselves. That is a description of a Christian leader. All right? Then, thirdly, he says, Know them which admonish you. It's what he says at the end of verse 12. We beseech you, brethren, and know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and it uh, and admonish you. To admonish means to caution or reprove gently. To caution or to reprove, saying, uh, Craig, I don't know about that, brother. We need to talk about that. All right, you and I need to, you and I need to have a sit down conversation about something in your life because I don't know about that. All right, that's to reprove gently. Okay, so to be cautious, reprove gently. Perhaps, this is perhaps the most difficult and misunderstood part of the job. Christian leaders have the responsibility to instruct believers in the area of personal conduct. And we are aware that this can be abused by both the pulpit and the pew. Amen. It can be abused both sides. As, and, and most of us have likely experienced such a thing on each side. Now, biblically, you'll see in your notes, biblically the leader has the responsibility to preach and teach the word of God while being true to the text, amen, rather than their personal preference. So I got to leave myself and my opinions out of it. I just got to preach the word of God, okay? And the word of God can take care of that. I don't need to abuse that power, that, uh, that opportunity. And likewise, those in the pew have responsibility to how the Holy Spirit applies the word of God to their life rather than their personal preference. So you can't say, well, I don't agree with that if that's what the Bible says and the Holy Spirit's showing it to you, okay? So we have the responsibility. So the preacher preaches the word. It's the Holy Spirit that applies it where it needs to be applied, okay? And so I can't, I can't, I, I've got to be true to the scripture, true to the text, and we, and we as we're listening to the word of God, we have got to apply uh, how the Holy Spirit is directing that in our life, okay? 
So there, there are some things there that he wants us to know. Then he mentions in verse 13 that we're to esteem them highly. Actually, his words are very highly in love for their work's sake. He says, in esteem, verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So, I'll just say this. If the church has leaders who are known for their labor among you, their servant leadership, and their sound biblical preaching, then be a blessing to them. Now, if I was preaching this in somebody else's church, I'd have a lot more to say about it. But I'm not, and I'm going to leave it right there. Okay? I'm going to leave it right there. So, that is the relationship. I don't even feel comfortable preaching verse 12 and 13 because I don't want somebody reading it to the wrong way, but I got a responsibility to preach the Word of God. Amen? And that's where we are. So, he speaks there of the family relationship between the servant leader and the congregation. Now, let's look at verse 14 and six through 16, and we see our relationship with one another. Our relationship with one another. Now, let's read it. Verse 14. Now, we exhort you, brethren, and he starts listing them out. We're going to look at them individually. He says, warn them that are unruly, Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. So let's break down those in verse 14. He, he mentions, first of all, to the brethren, to the family of God, exhort, he says, I exhort you, brethren, to warn them, first of all, that are unruly. Now, in verse 13, he, he mentions... Um, he mentions the uh, word, or verse 12, he mentions the uh, word admonish, uh, those admonish you. It, it, is, it is the same word translated warn in verse 15, okay? Rem remember what I told Craig, it's to warn or reprove gently, okay? To reprove gently. And so he, here he's saying warn them, warn the unruly. So there is some gentleness to that. Because somebody's getting out of line. Those who are considered unruly are those who are out of line. To be more specific, it's, it's, it's applied to a soldier who is um, marching to the beat of his own drum. He's marching to the beat of his own drum rather than holding rank. He, he doesn't care what authorities, uh, uh, those above him say, he's going to do what he wants to do. And he's getting out of rank, he's getting out of line. That is, that is who Paul is speaking of there. Warn the unruly. Now, in our family, in our family there are seven separate individuals. Uh, we make a family unit, but we are all, we're all different. Um, our children, they're, they're growing, they're developing their own personalities, they're developing their own thought processes, and uh, as a parent, God has ordained Christy and I to train them up in the ways of the Lord. That is our responsibility. We're to teach them the Bible, train them up in the ways of the Lord, in the way that they should go, in the nourishment and admonition of the Lord. The Bible teaches us to do that. We're, we're responsible to do that. And at the same time, we have to give them liberty 
to develop into their own person. Okay, they've got, they, it's not about them just obeying every rule that we set up. It's about them growing into a relationship with God. And they have to have that liberty to do that. Uh, sometimes we have so many rules that people don't have the liberty to become their own person. They, we're, we're trying to produce robots if otherwise. They're, they're different. We're, we're seven people. Um, uh, there's a lot of us that are alike. There's a lot about us that are just alike, but there's also a lot of differences. All, all four boys are different. Even the twins, God bless them, they're different. They're different between themselves. Now, occasionally, they get out of line. Occasionally, they'll, they'll get out of line. And they'll, what, what's the term we use? You're acting unruly, right? So they're acting unruly. They're getting out of line. Well, it's my job as a father to come over to them and warn them gently. Warn them gently. Listen, I'm going to use, Claire, Claire doesn't mess up as much. She's the angel in my eyes anyways. Now the boys, you know, they're, they're thorns. And sometimes I gotta say, listen, son, you got a little bit of an you got a little bit of an attitude. And I'm not saying nothing about my children that you can't say about your children. All right. So I'm not being specific here. And I'm not saying nothing about them that my parents couldn't say about me. And so, son, you're getting a little attitude here. I don't like it. We need to get that straightened up. And he's getting out of line. And now he has a responsibility to take that warning and do something with it. Or he can choose to go the other direction and become what? Rebellious, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to march the beat of my own drum, Dad. I'm going to do things my way. Well, ultimately that's going to be his decision, his choice. But I have the responsibility to warn them. And it's the same way in the church family that we, there, there, there is a time where we warn those who are spiritually, biblically, they choose to go away from God and away from the Word of God and do things in their own way. And it's not just a pastor who does that. It's, 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 it's church members. It's family members who come along gently and try to bring them back into the fellowship of the family. All right? Now, Paul, he, he doesn't deal with it here, but the response is much more severe when they've stepped so far out of line that they cause doctrinal division. Now, you get into that, and Paul's not as nice. In Romans 16 and 17, do you all have that in your notes? Romans 16 and 17, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Now that's been a little bit more harsh because their offense is so, um, it is so bad. They're causing the doctrinal division amongst others. And he says, you mark them and you stay away from them. So 
we should start with a general warning long before we have to start leaving marks. Amen. All right? Lord willing, we can get there with a general warning before someone goes so far that they're doctrinally causing divisions amongst the family. Now, he says next, he says, comfort the feeble-minded. All right? This has nothing to do with someone who has a weak mentality. And that's probably what you're thinking. I, I can hear it now. I can hear the southern woman say, bless it. Right? The feeble-minded, bless it. That's not what he's talking about there. All right? He, he's saying, he, he is speaking of, uh, he, he means for us to encourage the faint-hearted and low-spirited, all right? Someone who is struggling. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, in this world you shall have tribulation. That is a known fact. Jesus didn't say, I want to keep you away from it. You are going to face trials and troubles. And some are able to face it steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. They're, they're, They're strong in their faith. They can withstand it. They deal with it. But if you get punched long enough, uh, even the strongest can become discouraged and low in spirit. All right? Even the strongest can get down and out, and they get to the point that they're ready to throw in the towel. And rather than preaching at them with a harsh tone, because I've heard it. Well, you need to have faith, brother. I've heard it. You, uh, uh, you, 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 need, you need to stop whining and just get back in the fight, brother. You need to stay with it, brother. I've heard it, all right? Sometimes people are so faint-hearted, low-spirited, discouraged, you can't just preach them back out of it. You can't do it. You, you 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 can lay into it, and I promise you, you're going to tell them exactly what they already know. I know that already. I know What you're saying is right, but I've been taking punch after punch after punch. I am weary, I am struggling, I am down. And Paul is saying here, recognize those individuals, come alongside them, at times even hold on to them, do all that you can to encourage them, inspire them, love them, remind them of the goodness of God, Share with them the promises of God and pray with them often and let them know that you are doing so. All right? Come alongside and encourage the faint-hearted and low-spirited because the point is you'll probably be there at some point yourself. All right? So he's saying to the brethren, recognize those individuals in your family. Okay? What we all do not want is this. We don't want our family member who has gone through so much and we recognize they are deeply depressed. What we do not want is to come home one day and find a letter. We don't want to find that letter. But they are so faint-hearted and low in spirit. And spiritually speaking, people get to that point. They're discouraged, they're down, they're struggling. And I'm going to tell you something. I'll just be flat out honest with you. There are more and more people like that today. It seems like everybody is going through something. All the time, everyone is going through something. And there needs to be people 
who you, you may not be feeling your very best, but usually, usually, if we go, if we go to be a blessing, what happens? We usually receive a blessing. And so you just come along someone, maybe you got to cry together, maybe you need to hold one another up, I, whatever it takes, encourage them to stay in the battle. But if they don't, if they, they, they get to the point where he says the next point, verse 14, support the weak, support the weak. I was at the hospital yesterday and I was sitting there and uh, you're, you're always hearing stuff coming over the intercom always in uh, uh, there's interruptions and sometimes something comes up and it gets your attention you stop and you listen and uh, there was this one message that came over the intercom yesterday and it was something it, it was urging the medical staff to rapidly respond to a situation in a particular location in the hospital I'm sure the staff knew exactly what the location was but there was an urgent need somewhere in the hospital and so they were calling on medical staff in that area to rapidly respond. And I don't know who it was. I don't know what it was. But I know this, somebody at that moment was going through something. Right? It was obviously, it was serious. When we have members of our church family who have become weak in the faith, weak in the faith, they're struggling with their faith, they're having a difficult time. They're, they're questioning their own beliefs. They're questioning God. They're questioning their salvation. They're questioning uh, whether the Lord even loves them or cares for them. We, there should be a rapid response team of faithful loved ones rushing their way without prejudice. I need an amen right there. There ought to be a rapid response. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if you like them or don't like them, if you've had issues with them or whatever. If they are struggling, they are your brother in Christ. They are your sister in Christ. And we ought to be running toward them to encourage them and help them in this, in this difficult time that they're in. It is our responsibility toward one another. All right? And to minister appropriately in such a way, he needs, the next point is that we are to be patient toward all men. Be patient toward all men. Because I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes, sometimes ministering can, it, it, it drags you down a little bit. And someone is struggling and they're struggling and they're struggling. Well, Paul is saying when we're dealing with the feeble-minded, when we're dealing with those who are weak, when we're dealing with the unruly, and gently warning them. We are to be patient with all, with all men, with all of them. I've got wrote down, never underestimate the runt of the litter. Just because they are faint-hearted or struggling with their own faith right now does not mean God will not greatly use them over time. And if you think about the different individuals in the Bible, many of God's most choice servants in the Bible would have been voted most unlikely to succeed by their peers. All of them had problems. All of them had downfalls and mistakes and had messed up big time. The 12 
or I guess I should say 11 who changed the world, all left Jesus when he went to the cross. Right? They all struggled with their faith at times. So, so let's, let's be aware. Be patient with people. Show grace to people. They may not get it. It feels like you may have to beat them over the head with the Bible. But one day, one day they just might get it. I think Jordan Dodd would fit in that category, wouldn't you, Miss Danielle? All right? They just might not, you just think they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. I, I'm tired of telling them. Be patient with them. Keep loving them. Keep encouraging them. And see what God might do. Now, he says, verse 15, watch your motives. Watch your motives. Okay? He says, let's read it together. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I, I, I got to go back to this. There was a guy that I led to the Lord. Uh, he was in his upper 60s at the time. And um, uh, his, his wife, years, years earlier, was at another church. And uh, that pastor had been faithful there for a number of years. Uh, witness to him, witness to him, witness to him. And he never got saved. And uh, praise the Lord, this guy finally got saved. And I remember, I, I, I just happened, the day that he got saved, I happened to run to that pastor at the store. And I said, hey, you'll never, you'll never believe this. I said, Jimmy got saved this morning. And he said, I'm not going to tell you his last name, Jimmy got saved this morning. And, and he says, you're, you're kidding. He said, I gave up on that fellow a long time ago. And my words were, well, I'm glad God never gave up on him, right? Be patient. Be patient. Listen, I promise you, there are times in my life where my pastor and my parents and my grandmama and others in my life weren't sure that I was ever going to get it, all right? And they prayed and they stayed with me and they showed me some grace when they could have laid down the law and, 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 and really maybe hurt me that I, that I decided to leave it. Be patient with people. Watch your motives, okay? Are, is, is my goal for them to look just like me or is my goal for them to be just like Jesus Christ? Okay? So it's not about you, it's not about me. Be patient with people. They're not always going to do right, especially young people. They're not always going to do right. They're not always going to be listening. They're not always going to be paying attention. Be patient with them. Just watch them and see what God might do with their life. They may be five years old. They may be 75 years old. Be patient. Let God do his perfect work. Okay? See that, see that none render evil for evil in any man, but ever follow that which is good, but among yourselves both among yourselves and to all men. Everyone will not always respond the way we think they should. Therefore, we must be quick to remind ourselves why we are serving in the first place. Okay? It's not for a pat on the back. It's not for them to, uh, to, to be just like us. It is for us to simply seek for God's perfect work in each of our, each of our lives. Okay? 
Then lastly, our relationship with the Lord. I'll go through this quickly. Our relationship with the Lord. He says, uh, verse 16 through 18, notice our worship, okay? Our worship, he speaks there. He says in verse 16, rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. Nehemiah 8, 10, 8, chapter 8, verse 10 tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Our worship will always be impacted by our attitude. Amen? Always. Always in, impacted by our attitude. Our day is impacted by our attitude. And so Paul is saying, rejoice evermore. Always find a reason to rejoice in the Lord. Find the, find the silver lining in every cloud. Okay? That would help every one of us, me included. All right? Find a reason to rejoice and praise God. Okay? Then he says, praying. He speaks of our worship in regards to praying. What does he say? Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Acknowledge our dependency and our desperate need for God. We need God in every aspect of our daily life. Amen? Every aspect of our daily life. We need the Lord. And so you may not, you may not close your eyes while you're driving, and please don't do that. But you can still pray to the Lord. You may not get on, on your knees on your job site. But please be praying to the Lord. Acknowledge our dependency and desperate need for God. And then verse 18, in our worship, there is thanksgiving involved. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. That is a hard pill to swallow. All right? Thinking about being right now. Everything, he says, give thanks. It affects our worship. Why? Because that is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. So some way, find a reason to rejoice, put all your dependency upon your desperate need for the Lord, and find a way to give thanks for, what's, for what God is doing in your life. Then he speaks of our response to spirit and in truth. In verse 19, he says, quench not the spirit. To quench means to extinguish. Don't put out the fire burning within you by choosing your flesh over the spirit. Amen. Okay? God's got a fire burning within you. There's a passion, there's a desire to live for the Lord, to serve God. People will try to extinguish it. Trials will try to extinguish it. Spiritual warfare will try to extinguish it. Don't allow your spirit to be quenched. And don't allow the fire burning within you to be extinguished by choosing to serve your flesh over living in the spirit. Then he says, verse 20, despise not prophesying. Allow the Spirit of God to teach us the Word of God. Get in the Word, love it, grow from it. Verse 21, prove all things, he says, hold fast that which is good. In other words, be a Berean who searches the Scriptures daily, whether these things be so, rather than a Laodicean who is neither hot nor cold. Choose which one you're going to be. Prove all things. And then he speaks lastly, verse 22 through 24, of our sanctification. Okay? He says, the per Warren Wiersbe said, The purpose of worship is that we might become more like Jesus Christ in character and conduct. All right? That's worship. That we become more like Jesus in character and in conduct. So he, he mentions some things here. He says, verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. If it don't look good, stay away from it. 
All right? Stay away from it. Uh, I was woken up last night to a smell. Um, and night times is pretty cool, so I'll leave the, we, we have that upstairs bedroom, and I'll leave the door open, actually, because the bugs aren't bad this time of year. And leave the door open and let the cool air come in there, and it feels really, really nice. Unless you wake up and a skunk just passed by. You don't want to wake up to that. I got up and immediately went to the door and looked outside and, and was trying to see if, how close it was. I did not see it. Christy said, please don't get sprayed by it. I said, it can't get on the second floor, babe. You don't, listen, if you stay away from the skunk, you'll never smell like him. Right? If it smells like it, get away from it. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Just stay away from it. If, it, if you're not there, it can't happen to you. Amen? And verse 23, oh, I need to say that again. Y'all got to get that. If you're not there, it can't happen to you. If you're going to be tempted, just don't be there. Get away from it. Stay away from it. All right? And the, verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. That's a great promise, verse 24. The child of God has been set apart for God's exclusive use. There is, that, that is sanctification. There's positional sanctification in Hebrews 10, verse 10 in your notes. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We are part of God's family because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Okay, put our faith in. That's positional sanctification. We are, we are in the family of Christ and not amongst the unbelievers. Then there's the practical sanctification. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Okay? So cleanse ourselves from those things that are wrong. All right? Then there's perfect sanctification in 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All right? And so that is what he's talking about there. He, he's going to sanctify us wholly. He's going to preserve us blameless in the coming of Christ. And if, if he calls us to it, he will do it. And he wraps up, verse 25, we'll just read it. Brethren, pray for us. That's a good way to end the letter. Pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. So he wants the word of God to be read in all of the churches. And then in verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. We all need the grace of God. Amen. Let's pray together and then we'll dismiss and, and, and you can separate in your time of prayer. It is 8.02. Father, I pray.